I'm always very interested in um, in light and space, obviously, as an artist and um, and a writer. And astrology is really a- about both of these things. It's about how to relate to light and space and time. And it gave me a really interesting framework. Hi, friends. You're listening to Art and Magic, a podcast where we connect all things practical, magical, and really real when it comes to walking the artist's path. I'm your host, Devin Walls, painter, mentor, and dreamer. Thank you so much for being here. Now, let's get into today's episode. Today's episode is one I've wanted to do for quite some time, and it's all about astrology and how we might relate astrology to art. Our guest of honor is Emily Russo, who is phenomenal, and I'm going to say a little bit more about her in a minute. But I want to preface this conversation by saying this interview is a little bit different than ones that I've done in the past in that... It's meant to be fodder for critical thinking and um, creative inspiration rather than what I've typically done, which has been like the behind the scenes and journeys of other artists. And while Emily is another artist and we do talk about that, um, I'm wanting to weave more into the magic side of art and magic to the show. And I would love for this airspace to also be somewhere you can turn to for um, inspiration and creative thought. So with that, this is kind of our first episode like that. And um, I love astrology for those of you who don't already know that about me. And I have been looking for a way that I could weave art and astrology together in conversation. So I want to put a little preface here. If you have zero interest in astrology or learning about this line of thought, this episode might not be for you. Please come back next week. We are going to continue to have many, many artsy conversations about the journey and resources and tips and tricks and all of that. Um, But if you do have an interest in astrology or you've been curious about it or you're just open to hearing a school of thought that could hold new keys for you, um, I think you'll really like this conversation. If you are totally new to astrology, I want to say a couple things that will help you navigate listening to this conversation. So we often refer to the birth chart, and the birth chart is a shot of the sky and all the planets and their relationship to each other when you were born. The chart is divided into 12 houses, which represent different areas of life. And if you were to get your birth chart read, the astrologer would look at what specific planets are in what houses and what relationships those planets all have to each other. And it gets very complex. You don't need to have all of this knowledge for this conversation. But we do talk a bit about a couple of the planets and what they mean and their representations are, as well as a couple of the houses. If you know these things in your chart, you'll probably get a little bit extra out of this conversation. But if you don't, we're really talking about them as... Um, areas of life that they represent, which we can all relate to. So I encourage you to hear the specifics um, just in terms of what speaks to you and what relates to you rather than worrying about understanding the technicalities of astrology. So I want to say a little bit about my own journey and experience with astrology 
which is it was brought into my awareness about seven or eight years ago now when a kind of a random person let me know that there was more to my astrology than just my sun sign um, or just like that zodiac sign that you maybe looked up in a magazine when you were a kid. And it kind of set me on this journey of understanding my own birth chart. Not only ended up being very helpful reflection for understanding myself, my life in the world around me, but later on as I developed as an artist, a lot of what I knew about my birth chart was very validating in what I was creating and I could even say has guided a lot of the directions that I've gone in my work. And so it can be a really wonderful tool for self-understanding and understanding the world around you um, when you're looking for themes or when you're looking to understand uh, your approach and your attraction or repulsion to different kinds of art and inspiration. So there's just a lot of meat there for those of us who are contemplative and introspective um, and like to engage with things. So the reason I specifically invited Emily onto the show to talk about all of this with us is because I knew from having taken her workshops and reading her work that her perspective of astrology is actually quite different than what I have studied myself. And She approaches astrology as art, which you're going to hear about in this conversation, and really uses it as a place for um, critical thinking and reflection um, and a place to have a conversation. And that is really much of what our conversation in this episode is about. In the beginning, she gives us a briefing on how she sees astrology, how she got into it a little bit, and why her perspective is a little bit different than a typical um, like psycho- psychologically oriented model. Um, but things after that get really juicy as we start diving into certain houses and planets and why uh, the areas of life that they deal with are particularly potent for creative thought, which I know all of you artistic listeners out there are really going to find resonance with and enjoy. So definitely keep an ear out for that. So a bit about our guest of honor, Emily Russo is an artist, writer, and astrologer. Her interdisciplinary work focuses on edge spaces in human consciousness and art. Her books are G and Wave Archive. She received an MFA in sculpture from Pratt Institute, an MFA in poetry from Vermont College, and has studied ancient and modern astrology for several years. She's taught classes and workshops through Northeastern University, RAMA Institute, Parsons School of Design, the Art Institute of Cincinnati, and her Art House Astrology School, and keeps a weekly newsletter. Her work has appeared or been written up in Art Forum, Bomb, The Brooklyn Rail, Bust, Cosmopolitan, Grana, um, SF MoMA's Open Space, The Yale Review, and many more. She currently lives in between New York City and the Jersey Shore. Uh, really, really grateful for Emily coming on and sharing all of her wisdom with us. Uh, without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Emily, I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about art and astrology with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so we're going to dive into all the astrological nitty gritty but I was wondering if you could just give us like a brief understanding of what it is you do as an interdisciplinary artist who is also an astrologer. What does that look like? 
<laughs> what it what is it that I do? It's a good question. Um, yeah, so I'm I guess I would call my I mean labels are so weird, but I guess I would call myself a writer, like mm-hmm. in conversation. Um, that's what I mostly do and how I engage with the world. Um I write essays and poetry and um I write about astrology as well. Um and so I come to astrology as a writer who's also interested in like questioning genre and moving between genres and um, like using astrology as a sort of generative practice and a way to see as opposed to like a tool to, I don't know, like just strictly learn about our personalities, you know, Um, that's cool too, but like I like to do other stuff. Um, So I guess, um, you know, I, I mean, I guess daily life stuff, I uh, read charts, I see clients one-on-one, I write books um, and articles and essays and read and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And your, your background as I may have learned in my stocking, is um, in visual art, right? Or you studied sculpture. Is that where you started and then you kind of moved into astrology or was that always present? My background. So I started um, as a writer. I went to, to grad school for writing and then I also then later went to grad school for sculpture. So I sort of, um, I think I began to uh, be interested in sort of language and words as material and um, really wanted to work with my hands. I mean, as you know, as an artist, it's sort of, it's like um, there's something really satisfying about making something and then witnessing it and mm-hmm. having it be outside you. Um, so I did that and, um, I th- you know, astrology was always there. Uh, I was always sort of into it, uh, and I started to study it formally a few years ago. How did that start weaving it into what you were creating and thinking about? Um, what did that look like? Great question. I mean, you know, it's messy. It's never like, I wish I had like one like aha moment, but um, I do not. I I think, you know, I'm, o- I'm always very interested in um, in light and space, obviously, as an artist and, um, and a writer. And astrology is really about both of these things. It's about how to relate to light and space and time. And it gave me a really interesting framework, um, for thinking about like how I was moving through the world and, um, in a way that felt, um, like divinatory and magical, but also like really rigorous and, um, and interesting. And so, I mean, certainly has something to do with form too. Like I'm really interested in form. All of my books are like really um, critically engaging with the question of how form is content always. Mm -hmm. And astrology, uh, you know, it's a snapshot, snapshot, right? Of the sky at the moment that you're born. That's what a birth chart is. And so um, one way to look at it is as, you know, this like formal structure, um, to like, first and foremost, just see and interact with and make, um, make inquiries about and be curious about, you know? Mm. Yeah. I love what you're saying about how astrology is this play on light space and time. Um, I don't think I've ever really 
thought about that. I'm wondering, um, yeah, can you say more about that? Just, I just found that really interesting. There might not be more to elaborate on. That's so interesting that, that you say you haven't heard. So, so yeah, right. Like a birth chart looks super glyphy and abstract, which it totally is. I mean, oftentimes we're looking at it on a computer, um, or an app or whatever, but, um, the, the houses in astrology and the, the way that the sky is separated um, in this wheel, right? The, the sort of 12, um, the 12 houses or temples are um, translations of light. So there's, you know, the reason why the rising sign is so important um, and comes to represent like whatever quote unquote identity or the slipperiness of identity is um, because it's sunrise, you know, it's near sunrise. So the sun is rising above the Eastern horizon and that's very strong and powerful and it's going to assert itself in a certain way. Whereas like, you know, high noon is going to feel different. The planets there have a different quality because they're being kind of blasted by light and then sunset, there's like this desire to merge. So, you know, there's way more to say, but each of the segments and as we sort of move around the wheel, they're, they're not only topics or like archetypes, but they're actually like qualities of light and certain qualities of light, um, you know, are sort of more interested in, in maybe whatever, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or like home and comfort, you know, they're sort of given to different interests. Um, mm. And I think it's easy to forget that because we're often looking at these weird, like, spaceship-like things or whatever, but um, it's about light, and it's complicated, and, um, but it's also very, like, I think that when we think, when I, at least for me and, and in my classes, I try to sort of remind people that when we think about it in terms of light and space, it, it allows us to like turn our attention back outside of us instead of just, I think, which I think is like sort of the danger, the like eerie pervasive danger of some of the quote unquote new age practices. Like we just keep going further and further mm-hmm. into the self and it's like, okay, well, like where am I? Who am I? So um, it can turn turn the situation back out into the world and can help us sort of reanimate our environments and see the world differently. Mm. So yeah, that, that kind of brings me to um, what you pointed out to me that your approach to astrology is Hellenistic. Is that the word? Yeah, so um, I study one, I study Hellenistic astrology, which is a form of ancient astrology, and I incorporate modern as well. But um, yeah, there there are certain ways of looking at at the sky and the cosmos that the ancients held that are quite different from like the more psychological modern approaches. Yeah. Mm. So that is an interesting. I'm very. I've had my birth chart read a couple times, and I have really dove into it myself. Currently, would like to get another one. Um, but, but I'm, I'm thinking about from this perspective, how do you then go into a birth chart reading with somebody? Yeah. As opposed to like, well, I guess maybe we should start with like, well, what is the dominant? Like, I mean, there's so many kinds of astrology, right? So maybe like astrology as such, like, I don't know what people out there are thinking and when they think about astrology, but what do you think, what do you think of as like the sort of like dominant astrological approach? Um, well, I guess I just know the way that I've approached it or the readings that I've had, which has been a little bit you were referring to, like using it as a way to understand my personality. But as my relationship with it has grown, I also use it to understand much more than my personality. So phases of life, what's going on in the world, collective events, um, like even phases in nature. So, but I think my my rooted 
understanding in relationship to it is personality archetypes. So I'm so mm-hmm. curious what the other way looks like for you if you're reading yeah, yeah. that's for people. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Good question. I mean, it's a big, it's a, it's a large answer, but I'll try to sort of just speak um, for myself how I approach it. Um, modern astrology, which I do incorporate because, you know, I use the outer planets, which were just mm. discovered actually, you know, not that long ago. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think it's sort of um, interested in, I don't want to say therapy, but like mm-hmm. it, 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 and I think all astrology can be super therapeutic in the sense that it's connective and it's really illuminating, but um, I think it can be more, yeah, psychological and sort of like um, the, the planets uh, or the birth chart as a um, reflection of your, your psyche, you know, mm. um, which perhaps it is. I think that that's definitely one way to see it. And I, I think that that's one layer to how I practice astrology in a reading or in class or whatever. Um, well, not really in class. I'm, we're not like, we're not like going into people's psyches necessarily. Um, but um yeah, so in readings, we definitely talk about that. But um, in ancient astrology, there's there's um, more of a focus on, like, fate, which we're kind of afraid mm-hmm. of that word, but there's more mm-hmm. of, you know, the, the stuff we come in with that we kind of have to deal with no matter what. So I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, um, it can be a little colder. I don't I, – which is why you kind of have to bring in modern astrology because, like, the ancient texts are really, like, straightforward. Um, but uh, there's an emphasis on – this sort of, I, I, I like to think of it as like a less of a sugar coating or a less of like, mm. a, and that, that's not to say we need to be like harsh with our language, but I, I sometimes get annoyed with any kind of spiritual practice or um, new age technique that's like, here's a set of tools to help you like um, skyrocket to the top of your game <laughs> or whatever, you know, like that's not that interesting to me. Mm. Um, and I don't, I kind I don't like using astrology like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think there's this like tendency because we're just, I think sort of tr- trained in our current age to do this, which is like, you see an astro- astrology chart, for example, or whatever, you're presented with something and you're like, oh my God, what is that? Like, and then it, the sort of, there, there can be this like frenetic energy towards um, how do I use it, you know, or like, how do I get the most out of it? I get that question mm. a lot, you know, which like, of course we want to know these things naturally. We're humans. We don't want to suffer. We want to like alleviate um, sorrows. And I think that that's, I think that ancient astrology and all astrology can help us do that. But I think we miss out when we just try to be like, you know, as my teacher says, like uh, soup up your spiritual ride or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. So what is the alternative to that? So like, as opposed to like, here's a map to your, your best, most productive self, like whatever, versus like, I love what you said about fate and it's a little colder and I'm interpreting that as like, maybe it's a little more straightforward and less wishy-washy. Well, that's actually, yeah, let me pause here because I think when I say cold, that sounds harsh and I don't want to, you know, people, people are listening to this who don't know astrology. I don't, I don't want them to be afraid, but I think, um, (laughs) You know, and I do think a lot of the important work of modern astrology has been, like, undoing the, like, really, you know, because there can be, like, a certain fear around it. Like, oh, my God, like, my astrology birth chart, there can be, like, a weird, you know, mystic um, darkness that sometimes gets uh, strung up around astrology, which I don't like either. But um, I think, I think, I mean, exacting 
which, um, you know, whereas psychological astrology and modern astrology, we're, we're dealing a lot with archetypes and um, going around the wheel, right, the houses in terms of like, okay, first house, um, beginning, second house, you know, sort of progressing, right, where in the 12th house would be like some kind of culmination. Um, conversely, in ancient astrology, the house topics are derived from the angles of light that they sit at, and they're derived from um, a like, sort of system um, that that's really specifically tells you why, you know, um, mm. why, you know, for instance, the eighth house rules sex and death. Everyone's like, oh, weird, like, that's crazy, but there's actually a very specific reason, you know? Mm. Um, and likewise, the sort of specificity of the language comes from the fact that, you know, the signs are not, it's not just like, oh, Virgo, the the virgin it's um virgo the mansion temple house whatever of mercury the the earth home of mercury and what does that mean you know and where is mercury in the chart um so that we can we can see what kinds of resources mercury is sort of giving virgo because mercury is responsible for the care and feeding of the virgo house does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah yeah like a really specific kind of um, relationship with all the houses because it, it's really about guests and hosts mm. as opposed to archetypes. Does that make sense? I mean, it's of yeah. course yeah. always about archetypes, but it, it gets, it, there's way more specific flavors. And then there's like, can be a whole conversation about, okay, well, if you're a Virgo and your son's in Virgo, what kind of fuel is it getting from Mercury? Who's maybe in, you know, Libra ruled by Venus. It's getting Venus fuel. It's interested in art, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So then a conversation mm-hmm. starts to build. Yeah, I I really enjoy that perspective. And I I like what you said about guests and hosts because there was, and P.S. for anybody listening, this is technical astrological conversation. We'll we'll simplify it a little bit more in a second. But um, (laughs) I I would often get confused about like planets versus houses versus signs. And I I have somewhat of my mind wrapped around it now because I've dove dived into it a lot, but, um, yeah, the guests and hosts really ties that relationship quite, quite nicely. Um, so, okay. With this perspective in mind, oh, I did want to touch on, you mentioned you use it as divination. So now that we've like kind of laid the groundwork for how, um, this is a little bit more exact and, uh, a little bit different than like the therapy, like psychology or, uh, astrology, how do you engage with, astrology as divination in your could be like your own life your creative practice um anything you want to share yeah um it's a good question I am well also I just want to say that I do think astrology is therapeutic I don't want to like Mm -hmm. and I do like modern astrology just like throwing it out there I'm not like dissipating on modern astro and I use it you know what I mean um but I I'm also not a therapist you know (laughs) yeah so that's important to remember, right? Like it, it's always going to feel therapeutic. I think readings always do, no matter what. Like the yeah, ones they're that validating. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. It's really cool. It's like it's like oh shit, that's why I'm like a, a total nut in relationships or whatever. You know, <laughs> um, we also one thing I like to keep in mind always is the fact that astrology is uh, ruled by Mercury, the planet Mercury. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm also ruled by Mercury. <laughs> yeah, oh, Mercury. you're Gemini rising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, that's something for for listeners, all you listeners out there. Um, <laughs> if, if you um, just, 
you know, have, if you know your rising sign, whatever planet rules your rising sign is responsible for caring for um, your chart for life. So it's your mm-hmm. planetary ruler in a sense. So that's good to know. Because mm-hmm. then it's like all transits that that planet has quite important for you. So anyway, um, and what is Mercury like to do? You know, Mercury as the ruler of astrology, Mercury is interested in traveling and language and is the only God who um, could go to the above ground world and the underworld, right? Freely, happily, without dying or whatever, you know? And, and Mercury's job in doing that was not to judge or to create an ideology, but to um, transport and also to get information, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, playfully, oftentimes, Mercury is quick. If you see like the Hermes Mercury, like God, it's very, you know, they're very athletic. They're quite, mm-hmm. you know, they, they like to move quickly and also get information. And so, um, it curious, right? Like Gemini curiosity, mm-hmm. et cetera. So there's a sense in which astrology as Mercury's art is, you know, we could say like the art of asking questions. Mm, love um, I love questions and oftentimes a reading, as you probably know from getting readings, I, is like only as good as like the questions we ask, right? Because it's like, yeah, we're sort of communicating with the oracle of the sky in some way. And so there's, there's certainly the divination of the birth chart that we're talking about, but there's also the moment, you know, the moment that we're in. So like right now, there's a particular astrology in the sky when we're, when we're having this conversation. And so perhaps it's mirrored in some way and we're divining something, you know, without even necessarily knowing it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in terms of engaging with astrology in this way of divination, it's about the questions that you might ask on the day to day. And so do you, I'm imagining that that relationship often looks like current transits, like you mentioned. Um, and then I'm, I'm wondering too, I know, and this might just be personal to me, whenever there's like an issue or a theme coming up in my life, I, I often do refer back to my birth chart and then want to seek further knowledge on that thing um, mm-hmm. as it relates to the natal chart or what might currently be happening. So is that the kind of questions that you might be referring to, or do you have like other flavors of that that feel more yeah. true? Yeah, I think totally. I think that kind of question, I think also paying attention to what comes up in the moment in terms of like, if we're in a, a reading, you know, like um, mm. I think it's great to come in with questions, but also seeing like what the vibe is and seeing if any, if anything comes to you, because that might be important, you know, mm-hmm. um, because uh yes, we all have birth charts, but also our birth charts are constantly being edited and flavored and communicated with by the current sky movement. Um, mm-hmm. And I also just think it's kind of like a worldview, uh, you know, like asking questions and being curious and relating astrology to everyday life and making it, um, you know, sort of um, being assiduous about it and um, not letting it become like, a religion, you know, or like right, a belief right, right. system, like something mm-hmm. that we can make dynamic and question 
this is how it is. So I think, I think that's what I mean with Mercury. You know, Mercury also can be um, talked about as doubt, you know, which we need. So I kind of want to gear all of this a little bit to artists who are most likely the people listening. And um, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about as artists, like what might be an interesting uh, approach or like a nice reflection or like way that we could incorporate astrology, whether that's in understanding like our practice, our work, are there places that we could look or ways that we, that you would like recommend diving in and using it? There are a lot of ways. Um, I think, I mean, for me, like I, I'll, I'll answer personally and then I'll say um, like how I often work with, with artists in my practice. Mm-hmm. But um, for me as a writer slash artist, you know, I'm always looking at um, where Mercury is mm. because Mercury is a microphone. So wherever Mercury is, we're getting a voice. Um, we want to communicate it, whether that's verbally, non-verbally, with brush strokes, with whatever, um, with gestures, etc. And um, also where where Venus is and what Venus is doing. Venus is, you know, is art, love, taste, uh, consensus, uh, what we're drawn to inextricably. Um, my main thing, as you probably know, is like learning about the planet and learning mm. about the houses and the sky. And because like nothing is going to, like astrology is not going to do jack shit (laughs) you know for you whatever you know what I mean or like it's a it's a conversation Mm -hmm. so like I think the more I I mean this could also in part be like my super rigorous like Virgo brain but I find that the more I learn about astrology and also just like engage with the planets as they as sort of emissaries of the gods so to speak which is how they're conceived of in ancient astrology um with their own prerogatives and agendas and interests, that's like a way more creative and generative, obviously way to engage with it as opposed to like sort of uh, petrified like ideas that are what just floating around, you know, sometimes the way I hear astrology talked about, I'm like, this sounds awful (laughs) Mm. or like bland or, you know, but really like, you know, Venus, what is Venus's true nature? Venus wants to merge and unite and sort of harmonize. And so when she's in, um, I don't know, like right now she's in cancer. So that's very lunar. That's like a very different kind of home for Venus than, uh, her, her homes of Taurus and Libra, like, you know what I mean? So just sort of, and like, how would you feel if you were in a, a faraway land, far from your home? You know what I mean? Like, like just like conversations like that, where um, they start to sort of come alive instead of, um, instead of just being these frozen entities that we yeah. can extract things from. I know this is such like a prolix long answer, but also in terms of who I work with, I guess, second part of question. Um, yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about... Um, the, the planets I just mentioned, Mercury and Venus, but also like, you know, I, I'm always talking about space and light with my clients and um, what the planets in their chart and the transits that are happening for them, um, what kinds of sort of moods, you know, cause like astrology is a mood maker too, you know, and we can um, 
think about like what kinds of activities or thought processes or whatever, whether, whether um, the astro weather might be more into um, going full force really messily into a manuscript or like editing, you know, Mm -hmm. or making a painting or like looking at other people's work or, you know what I mean? Like there are certain kinds of mirrored um, images that we can, we can play with. Um, And I think it's just like, I don't know. I find it really generative. And um, uh, I just think there's a lot of like nexuses of, um, you know, between art and astrology and philosophy. And like, it just sort of opens up um, different conversations. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking, I want to go back to the Mercury Venus stuff because that really resonated and I love that. But I'm also thinking about what you're saying here and a little bit of, of what I'm hearing or how I'm interpreting with it is that it's the engagement with the conversation, especially as an artist, that can really deepen and open up your views um, because these things are so alive. Um, yeah, that's kind of like what I'm taking. So like as an artist who might want to start diving into astrology, starting to really understand the planets and starting to... Um, not just read it as like a list of characteristics like Scorpio, deep, mysterious, shaman-like, but like actually starting to engage <laughs> with um, like, well, what is Pluto about? And like, what is the flavor? And looking at it in this more like well-rounded way. Um, yeah. Um, so actually in ancient astrology, um, the rulers we don't, we don't use, um, not like the outer planets as rulers. So, mm. so Scorpio fun fact, Mars, is actually right? ruled by Mars in mm. ancient. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, exactly. Like Scorpio, instead of like, Oh my God, I'm a Scorpio. I must be like super, whatever, like underworldy, you know? Yeah. Like, okay. Thinking of it as the temple of Mars. And then likewise, if you're, and what is Mars into, you know, mm. Mars is the God of war. What, like, what, what is Mars's prerogative and where is Mars in your chart? Because if Mars is at the top, let's say Mars is ruling Scorpio from the 10th, your 10th house to the top of your chart, that's high noon. That's, you know, when the sun is at its brightest. So that's going to be a really loud Mars, um, out in the, out in the, um, on the world stage more than a Mars that's in the fourth house under the earth. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like a creative, conversation I hope I don't sound too like sycophantic about the qualities of light but no. I feel like as an artist slash astrologer or whatever I am the, the understanding the houses um as um arenas of light mm-hmm. just totally changed everything for me yeah I'm actually starting to understand it more and more and more as you're putting it into context in the sense of like um the place of light I guess as we could think of it as like a a time of day, I guess is how I might relate to light here is really telling about like being on top versus under. And like, that's where a lot of these houses get their qualities. Is that, is that even more of an understanding? Okay. I'm, I'm coming around to it. I like it. I'm wrapping my mind around it as I'm like thinking about the chart in the houses as well. First class that I taught at the like, I don't even know. It was like immediately when quarantine began was called cosmic edges. And um, it was about the sort of more hidden or edge spaced um, houses in astrology, so like the eighth mm. house, the twelfth house, um, and how they are perhaps maybe even though they're more quote unquote difficult or not, they don't have a lot of access to um, certain kinds of light. They they mm-hmm. might be 
better for creating art or mm. thinking through some kind of creative problem or how we all have to be hermits sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. um, kind of traveling to the edges of our consciousness in order to do what we do. So, and in that class, we brought in a lot of different um, artists and poets and we, you know, talked about the ways in which these spaces might like make a nice home. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. I want to talk more about that, especially I have deep connections to the eight and the 12 house. As deep connections. <laughs> well, just in the sense of um, having a lot of Pisces, Scorpio energy, and then have a lot in the eighth house as well. But um, so I, what I was going to uh, move into is that as a person who I know when I listen to podcasts, I'm always like have an ear out for things that like might be in my chart or um, mm-hmm. that I relate to. And so I kind of like highlighting this like eighth house and 12th house as, um, you know, and even if you, they aren't necessarily emphasized in your chart, I like just this line of thought around if, uh, places that are more like obscure or not super obvious are interesting places, uh, or like modes yeah. of creating or like places to explore. Um, so can you actually tell us about each of those houses just since we're talking about this? Of course. Of course. And also you can pl- quick plug for cosmic edges you oh, can yeah. Yeah. It at my website. Okay. Wonderful. That um, I nice. like... I've made all the classes like um, sort of doable for um, whatever you call it, like not live, you know, recorded. Mm-hmm. So you can see the slideshows and stuff. And you took Venus Days. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's there too. Um, but the eighth house. So yeah, I'll just give like a quick rundown of the eighth, um, the eighth because it's so misunderstood. Um, mm-hmm. It's called the house of sex and death often, right? We're like, we hear that. You've heard that, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, it rules sex and death. Why? That's crazy. And like inheritances um, or something. And <laughs> other people's money. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is so funny. And like everything that's taboo. And like, yeah. so, um, okay. So all of the, in ancient astrology, the houses are said to pivot around four main axes, like sort of points of light. And that sunrise, sunset, midheaven, and I see, or, you know, the, the sort of corners of the chart. Um, the eighth house is right above, if you look at a chart, it's, it's the house just above the seventh house. So that means it's just above sunset. And the reason why, um, so, so the deal with the eighth house is quite literally, it's um, the sun is, you know, we can even say like, the golden hour, depending on the time of year, we could say it's the the time just before um, the sun is entering its um, descent into night. Mm. So there is a quality to that house that is sort of um, both interested in setting with the sun, you know, and setting with the sun comes to mean relationships, right? Marriage, seventh houses, death, also like death in terms of like peace, rest, um, and how we kind of give up parts of ourselves, merge with someone else, right? Like Mm -hmm. marriage. So it's sort of a more peaceful giving over. And then the eighth house is a little more tumultuous and complicated because while it wants to set, it also quite, it doesn't. And this is because of the motions of the sky. There are two motions of the sky, primary and secondary. And so all the planets in in the houses are, you know, appearing to move a certain way, 
but actually moving another way. They're act, right, like the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, but in astrology, they appear to move the other way because of the way the earth's situated. Mm-hmm. So I, it gets very specific. And I don't think this is talked about in modern astrology, but this is, this is why the eighth house comes to rule those difficult topics because it's sort of like we called it in Cosmic Edges, the poet Cynthia Cruz has this line, um, the discotheque at the end of the world. And that's how I like to think of the eighth house mm-hmm. because it's like this, okay, one last hurrah before we have to like merge with something and get peaceful or whatever it is. And so it also comes to be known as the place of kind of like, I mean, you know, not, not to sound scary, but whatever, like sort of um, death that is a little more, I don't want to say unnatural. I mean, all, all death is natural, but you know, um, not not so peaceful, you know, mm. we know exists. And I think this is another annoying thing. It's like also important to know that every possible thing is reflected in astrology. So it's not just like all the happy and warm things. Like certain houses have, you know, maybe more propensity towards um, darkness or whatever. And that can mean many, many, many things. So also sex in terms of not like procreative sex, which would be like fifth house. Um mm-hmm but sex for like exploration or um, any amount of, of other things that we mm-hmm. use sex for. Also, you know, power, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people's money because of the relationship to the, it has to the seventh house of partnerships. So it tends to be like also where we just sort of karmically get stuff, like inheritances of energy and weird stuff. It's like so the house where we sort of have to sort through like what belongs to me and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. part of this is too yeah. because it's across from the second house which is where we earn money and things kind of come in to our possession and oftentimes mm-hmm. the eighth house can be where we're either relinquishing something or um getting something that is, is is charged with some kind of heaviness like even though an inheritance might be really lovely there's always a certain kind of you know mm-hmm. weight to that. yeah so I would love to hear from your perspective um, why this is like particularly creatively potent to engage with like this, this realm as an artist. Yeah. If that's, if it's not already obvious, but I would just love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, totally. I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, first of all, I do think all houses are creatively potent, but I think there's something about the eighth house that, um, okay. So I read this book recently and he, the, the author was talking about how, art sometimes one reason we need it is because it's a way to publicly mourn Mm. and the reason it's a way to publicly mourn is because um oftentimes art whatever art is you know a book a painting whatever is a process of making something visible that was once invisible and it's sometimes the product of a tumultuous time in a life um and I don't think that it's a coincidence that artists are often like stereotyped as being tortured you know because oftentimes there is a certain amount of that that we have to go through and it's um the eighth house presents us with these problems you know so I think in another sense the eighth house can be like melancholia where um you know uh we feel stuck or these there are these realms where we feel really attracted to something. We don't know why we kind of have to explore it, whether that's something about, um, you know, the loss of a loved one or like our sexuality or whatever it is. But it's like this thing about the eighth house where we're, it's like a simultaneous aversion and attraction. And that can be maybe, you know, 
painful, but, but hopefully, hopefully, I mean, not some of us, you know, I think there's obviously all kinds of ways to handle that. Um, I would love to hear, because you also brought up a little bit about the 12th house in this regard as well, since it's mm-hmm. also kind of like at the edges. This is good practice for me. I'm actually doing a, uh, on my newsletter, uh, I think I'm going to do it next month, um, a series called Strange Mansions I'm going to do, mm. where I talk about all the, all the houses. Cool. So, um, and so they're hard to talk about. I mean, they're, they you know, are. Like to verbalize yeah. it. So totally. the house is another one that people are like, well, what, what have you, actually, I would love to know what you have heard about the 12th house. Yeah, totally. Um, so I don't have anything. <laughs> I've I've more focused on the houses where I have planets in them. So I know less about the 12th yeah, house. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I hear like, oh, also because I related to Pisces though, like the unconscious, the house of mental illness. Um, I think a lot of the times in I was reading that people who haven't emphasized there might be like hereditary mental illness. That's like emphasized something about um, mm. things that are like hidden confusion, mm. like de- like breaking of the psyche of death and merging with divine. I'm not really sure, but it's confusing for me. I'm always like, yeah, something like that, which is pretty much how I feel about Pisces in general. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, sometimes I hear and I hear around the astro block stuff like. Um, 12th house, house of mysticism. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, but like all of the houses pivot around, yes, the, the angles, the four angles, but also primarily the first house, which is sunrise. So that's sort of like mm. the source light. And um, one of the reasons the 12th house is considered hidden is because it does not um, have access to the light of the first house. So mm. it's, you know, right next to it, it's above it, but um, the planets can't see what's going on. So like the helm of your ship can't really, mm. you know, mm-hmm. maneuver into there. So you gotta find other ways instead of just willpower or muscle. Um, and so that's that's why, you know, it's not just like the 12th house happens to rule hidden shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And another thing, just in case people are, are like interested in this, in modern astrology, the houses are like, cor- like you know, are said to sort of correlate to uh, the different signs. So like first house mm-hmm. Aries, all the way around 12th house, as you said, Pisces. Mm-hmm. But in ancient astrology, they're not related at all. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. I had no idea. Okay. So it's just about the, the light and the angles and blah, blah, blah. So um, the 12th house rules Yes, everything that's hidden, as you said, in society, and that obviously is ever changing, depending on you know the kind of diachronic situation we're in, but also um, in our psyches. So sure, this can totally be the realm of like mystical, I don't know, like mm-hmm. ayahuasca moments or whatever you're into. <laughs> but like um, you know, oftentimes it's hard one because. Um, these places in the mind are like not super easy to access. So sometimes, you know, we have to either go there through, again, through some kind of like trial of the soul. Mm. It can feel intense. One of the great gifts of the 12th house, you know, um, Mm -hmm. is perhaps, you know, it's where we learn to um, realize that like, actually that could be any one of us, you know, in an Mm -hmm. institution tucked away or, you know, 
I mean, like none of us are sort of above above the sort of whatever panopticon. <laughs> Uh, also, yeah, I see like mental health stuff. And so these places where we feel like, like something is sort of to the side of us, you know, like, um, there's this great line in this movie, <laughs> Sleepwalk, or not Sleepwalker, Light Sleeper. It's a, um, it's with Willem Dafoe from the 90s. I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're a listener out there will get the reference, but he goes to see the psychic and he's like, what's around me? And he's very, or I love this scene. He like asks, he like leans in and he's like, what's around me? And that feeling of like something's up, but I don't know what, and I can't see it. That's very 12th house, you know? Mm. Um, so we have to kind so oftentimes it's like also where we escape to, like what we use as an escape mechanism, which as we know, it can be anything. It can be our screens, it can be drugs, it can be um, relationships, you know, however we hide out from ourselves. Yeah. Likewise, where we meet with some, you know, the truest, most kind of hard hitting aspects of ourselves if we're able to like get through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when I think about like artists and, and what we do, we're often pulling from those, those hidden things and trying to understand them and make them visible or have them be acknowledged or understand them ourselves and, and whatnot. I think, yeah, totally. And I think also though, this sense of like a worldview of, of an artist, especially I think, I don't know. I think if we're, if we're going to be like in society and aware of what's going on, um, there's a, a way in which we have to be kind of tuned in to what's outside our, our purview, you know, mm-hmm. like what's outside the algorithm or what is, in the consensus or what's popular. Um, and I think that that can happen by reading or going out and actually seeing people who are not privileged or whatever it is, but there's this way in which invisibility and the 12th house are really related. And, uh, we kind of have to like go into the hidden spaces, I think, if we're going to like, so I want to talk a bit about, I would love for you to tell us about your book and your newsletter because I'm feeling like I could hear so much more of this and I know that the place for us to do that is your newsletter, um, which I have explored a little bit. Um, will you just tell us about like what you offer there? I know that there is like a paid version. Um, yeah. What are you currently doing with that? Yeah. Thank you. Yes. My newsletter. I am, um, it's called Art House Astrology and I've been doing it for a couple of years now. Uh, there is a, there's a regular version. People get it kind of either monthly, well, not monthly, probably twice a month. Um, and, uh, I do, I kind of, I relate the current astrology to kind of any number of things, (laughs) but, um, lately, uh, this month I'm, I'm talking about Virgo as, as sort of, um, the editorial impulse and responsibility to that which we create. So I'm using um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as a lens to do that through. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yes, Mary Shelley was a Virgo, but also Frankenstein is like a super Virgo tale. Um, so I'm going to do that for paid subscribers, which last month was every day. So it was, I did like 30 days of sun for Leo season, which I guess I just, I like to annihilate myself 12th house style. I don't, that was like insane. <laughs> but um, 
this month I'm doing probably like three, two to three times a week for paying subscribers. And I, I give, um, it's $5 a month. It's not much. Um, well actually it is a lot for some people. So I, there's an option to, um, pay whatever you want. You can pay literally whatever you want per month. Um, and I mean, side note, this is also very important to me. I, everything pretty is sliding scale. So I do have like fixed prices on my site, but then there's a, a section for pay what you want. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, in terms of, in terms of astrology sessions, I mean, but yeah, my newsletter, I talk about any number of things and hopefully, I mean, the goal, I guess, if I have a goal is to, I mean, a, like entertain myself <laughs> and also, um, make us, I mean, it's kind of like what I want to read. I mean, yeah, like it, I don't know how to, it's sort of, um, you know, it, I, there, I, there might be a, a day where I'm like, um, talking about astrology and as it relates to like Latour paintings or whatever, um, or Frankenstein or just simply giving an astrology update and maybe quoting some book I'm reading, you know, there's, but I'm always trying to make connections and kind of show how my brain works. And so hopefully like, create a space for conversation and people can comment or email me or also just, I don't know, like make your day better. And like, I'm kind of just, I kind of just do whatever I want. I don't ask people like, Hey, what do you want from me? Cause I want it to <laughs> be like a an art instead of like yeah. some kind of, yeah. You know what I mean? So. And it absolutely is too. I, I wanted to mention, I don't know if we already mentioned this in the conversation, but I did take your Venus days workshop back in May when Venus was in retrograde. And, um, I, I had really never experienced this very astrology. It's yeah. Astrology as art is essentially what I felt like it was. And being somebody who's interested in astrology, I'd never seen that or experienced that before. And so for me, I felt like it was really, uh, a, a place to derive inspiration and like thought on my own rather than somebody handing me an interpretation. It was basically like a facilitation of that. That was my experience. And so, yeah, I really feel like for people who like this mode of critical thinking, um, your work is like a great place to go if you're feeling bored or like you want to engage with something <laughs> interesting. <laughs> That's really sweet. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so ha I was so happy when I got your email and you were like, I took Venus days. Oh, um, that's yeah, awesome. Venus days was fun. It was like seven weeks while Venus was in retrograde. I mean, that's an example of like sort of what I do, right? Like Venus days was a class which you can download on, on the site, but um, seven weeks, every week we met on Friday in the Zoom room and we, we had, I had different themes. So like whatever Venus was doing in the sky, we would come up with, I would come up with the theme for, and then we would sort of make connections. And I had a slideshow with art and video and performance stuff. And, you know, um, and mostly like, I really am into centering the chat, like the chat box mm -hmm. is really yeah. major. Um, because that's how people, that's, that's how we learn by like thinking out loud. And I always say that the chat box is Mercury, mm -hmm. um, because we're like always translating our thoughts and, as opposed to like me, because as we know, like these modes, which I'm sort of obsessed with are the fact that these modes are just like, so not neutral and they're always like sort of right. Like prizing the individual and like the, all the gaze is like on whatever the zoom host where that's, 
I'm like not not interested in that. I would rather have community than like an audience or fans or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I really felt that way when I took your class and my friend that I mentioned I took it with, that was one of our main points of conversation was just like how cool the facilitation was. And it felt in addition to that, like very safe and um just like very well facilitated. So that that is translated and, and felt for people taking I'm it. I'm so happy. Thank you for saying so. That's yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. I think that brings us to the end. We might have to have you back to dive more into other houses and Mercury and Venus because that was all very fun. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on and like just sharing all your wisdom and perspectives with us. It's really appreciated. Totally. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. I hope that that sparked lots of creative ideas and food for further thought of your own digging into astrology and maybe your own art. Um, I know I certainly had that response, particularly with the 8th and 12th house stuff. That was really my favorite. Um, Anyway, please check out all the links in the show notes. You can find your way to get on Emily's newsletter as well as her courses and her Instagram, um, which is also very inspiring. I highly recommend following her. As for the Art and Magic podcast, as per usual, you can stay up to date by subscribing to the show. That way, um, new episodes will just show up into your queue. You don't have to search for us every time, although episodes are currently coming out weekly on Wednesdays, which I'm very excited about. You can also give us a follow on Instagram at Art and Magic Podcast. And if you'd like to stay up to date with myself and my art practice, you can follow me at Devin Walls Art. Another great way to support the show, if you would like to hear continued episodes and help us get this out to more artists and creatives like yourself, is to leave a review. Those make a huge difference. And now, as somebody who does podcasts, and I hear other podcast episodes always emphasize the reviews, I now see why. So your reviews and your five stars, even if you don't want to write something, are super appreciated. You can do that by just heading to the show and scrolling all the way down if you're on Apple Podcasts. Um, that's it for today. Uh, thank you so much for being here and I look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, I'm sending you lots of love and tons of magic.